Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, nobody can really fill in for Mike Broomhead. This is Matt Salmon, but I'm trying. Anyway, I've got a really exciting uh, few minutes for you. Uh, on the line with me, I've got Sybil Francis. And Sybil Francis is the CEO of the Center for the Future of Arizona. And she has some interesting findings from recent polling survey research that talks about uh, the things that Arizona voters really want to talk about, really want to hear from their candidates. But first of all, Sybil... Um, in that poll, it showed that there is great confidence uh, in our election process. And I wanted you to talk just a little bit about that. Thanks so much, Matt. You're doing an awesome job, and it's an honor to be on the show with you. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yes, we um, thought it would be really interesting and important to find out what Arizona's likely voters feel about our upcoming elections. You know, we've heard so much about voter fraud, stolen elections, who won the 2020 election, we thought, you know what, why don't we ask Arizona voters what they think about our current election? You know, how they felt about our primary, how they feel about the upcoming general, and if they generally have um, faith in the process. So we were pleasantly surprised, I would say, um, to find that voters overall, large majorities, believe that our elections in Arizona are fair, secure, and accurate. And I can cite some of those numbers for you if you're interested. Yeah, in fact, uh, you did an op- opinion piece in the Arizona Republic on Saturday, and I'll, I've got those numbers right here. Three quarters of the, uh, believe that the elections are fair. Seventy percent say they're secure. Seventy-seven percent say they're confident that the November election results will be accurate, according according to a survey done by High Ground. Um, so I that was really uh, interesting information to hear after all of the accusations and the things that have been said. Uh, you know. It, it, we need to make sure that people go to the polls. And one of the big concerns a lot of us that have run for office have and and had uh, is that if people lose their confidence in elections, they won't show up. That's absolutely right. And, and it kind of is a, a vicious circle in that, that sense that if they don't show up for the polls and then they're not happy with the outcome of the elections, then maybe they'll get more discouraged and then they'll be less likely to vote. So we thought it was a positive message to share with Arizona voters overall, and and hopefully the candidates are paying some attention as well, that there is this sense of uh, fairness, security, and accuracy in our election uh, process and results. We don't have information, we don't have data to compare to previous years, so we don't actually know if this is par for the course or if it's gone down at all, but uh, I think the numbers um, are pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. So let's get to the the crux of things. Uh, what are Arizona voters interested in their policymakers talking about? And what are they interested in them solving uh, problems for? Yes, absolutely. Well, we know that the economy is a big issue for Arizonans, but I think what we can uniquely share with your listeners are we dug a little bit deeper in terms of the top, other top priorities of Arizonans. And so it really education really comes out on top along with water and immigration. And for education, we asked uh, voters about you know their, their views on whether education was adequately funded. And we found that um, in both our 
pre-primary poll and in our post-primary poll that large majorities of Arizonans uh, believe that education is still underfunded despite the action of the legislature to put the billion dollars um, into education uh, at the end of the last session. Their real top priority in education is getting more teachers and principals in schools and quality teachers and principals, and they want to know what the candidates are going to do about that. You know, that makes all kinds of sense. Uh, I'm going to be doing a segment later on uh, in the morning dealing with uh, a a recent write-up in one of the newspapers that says the national ACT scores are at at an all-time low. Uh, In fact, uh, it's very, very frightening. And when we look at other uh, industrial countries uh, that are competing with us, namely China, uh, we've got to be on our toes when it comes to math and science, reading and writing. And uh, the the speculation from the article was that uh, the results were uh, because of COVID and and classes uh, classrooms being closed down. But education is that one silver bullet for all public policy. If we have a better educational system, we have less incarceration. If we have a better education uh, system we, and, and better results in education, uh, we have a better, a better economy. We have every, everything is better and, and, and less, less homelessness, less reliance on, uh, on social programs. Uh, if we have a better educational system, we're a stronger country. Absolutely. And all the data show that the the more students persist in their educational journey, the better all of those outcomes are for their in their lives. And I'll just add one more interesting data point on what we found in education. We asked likely voters, we said, would you prefer a tax break or would you prefer investing the uh, state surplus into education, public infrastructure, safety, roads, et cetera? And by two to one, likely voters prefer those investments over getting tax breaks. Wow. Um, so on on the uh, issue of water, and I know you and I have had a lot of conversations in the past, and ASU uh, has the John Kyle Water Center doing some phenomenal things, but the prognostications of water in the future are pretty dismal, and uh, we should be concerned, right? Absolutely. And Arizona voters understand the importance of water. They don't necessarily understand all the complexities, but they are concerned. 75% are worried that we won't have enough water in our future. We did ask likely voters what their preferences were for how our water should be used. And we found really interesting results. It's pretty much equally divided between agriculture, recreation and conservation, and supporting Arizona growth. So, you know, r- roughly equally divided among the voters. So I think the, the candidates, I mean, the uh, our politicians certainly have, and experts certainly have a job on their hands to figure out how to meet all of those objectives. Well, Sybil, time goes fast and we're out of time, but I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank Thank you for all you're doing for Arizona. Thank you, Matt, for having me on. Good to talk to you. All right. Thank you. Uh, And uh, please stick around at 915. I'm bringing on the CEO uh, for a company called Q Secure, and his name is Skip Senzari. Uh, And you should care about this one because in a couple of years, China is going to have quantum computers. Uh, There is little or no defense for hacking uh, when quantum computers come online, and we've got to be on our toes. Uh, So stick around. Uh, Our next segment, we're going to be talking about this crucial issue. Thanks a lot. Thank you. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, this is Matt Salmon filling in for Mike Broomhead, and I've got a really interesting segment to talk about a real threat, not just to the United States, but to the world at large. China will likely have a quantum computer online within the next couple of years. And on the phone with me today, I have uh, Skip Sanzeri, who is the CEO of a company called QSecure. Skip, why should America care about uh, China getting access to a quantum computer? Yeah, thanks, Matt. Well, it's what we call an existential threat, uh, meaning that it could change our way of life. We know China is globalizing very, very hard. Xi Jinping has said that he's building quantum computers and he intends to weaponize those quantum computers, which means that he is going to use them for disruption or theft or whatever is necessary. Quantum computers are very powerful machines and they will hack through the current encryption that we use. So we all use the Internet. The encryption or the security that that handles the Internet will be beaten down by quantum computers very quickly. And when those come online, It'll almost be too late, so we need to start preparing now. So I know I've talked to a lot of my former colleagues in Congress, and cybersecurity is one of the issues that we all care about. And uh, not just governments, but individuals should care about it because of identity theft. And there have been hosts of people out there that have had their identity stolen and and uh, their their credit cards maxed out and loans taken out in their names or social security numbers used for nefarious purposes. And so it's a big, big issue that we should all care about. Skip, here, uh, we don't just like posing problems. We like to pose solutions. And QSecure is talking about solving this problem. And why don't you talk to us a little bit about what QSecure is doing and talk to it in a way that most listeners can understand. I know you're a really smart guy, but uh, let's, let, let's talk about what QSecure is going to be able to do and why, uh, the nation, or why the people in this country and policymakers should care what QSecure is uh, proposing here. Sure, Matt. So we build software that protects the networks and the computers and the data. So think about a new form. Uh, we call it encryption, but what really means it is it's a bunch of code that stops people from getting to your data, keeps it where it should be. You want it private, it's supposed to stay private with you. That's where it should be. We build software that does that, but our software protects against this new threat from a quantum computer. You see, quantum computers are very good at breaking the existing cryptography and the existing code that's being used to protect. So we have to put new code in there. We have to put new software in that is resilient against and resistant against quantum computers. QSecure builds that software and we're rolling it out to commercial and government now to make sure that we can get ahead of this curve. Well, you're a startup company and and uh, you've been working on this issue for a long time. How did you decide that this was something you wanted to focus on? Well, we looked at quantum computing, and it really has a ton of promise for humanity. Uh, Quantum computers do things differently than our existing computers do, uh, and they can handle some big, big problems like genomics and weather prediction, logistics, optimization, material science and chemistry. It can do wonders for us there. But what we realized was before they would be used for good, they would be used for harm. And that, unfortunately, is human nature. A lot of people will do that. And so what we realized was that before we even worry about those applications to help humanity, 
we had to protect against those computers being used for harm. So we decided to launch QSecure and start working on the software so that when somebody comes online with a powerful quantum computer that can break through and take any data that they want, that we would be in the way well before that could happen. And that's why we're all preparing now and we're, we're pushing both government and commercial uh, to start installing and working with this types of software, whether it's our, ours or anybody else's. This is a national security problem. And, and, and so we're on board for Team America here, and we got, we're got we just doing our part to help. Well, Skip, this is, uh, you know, a, a lot of folks that uh, I used to serve with were always worried about EMP. Uh, and for those that don't, electromagnetic magnetic pulse. And basically, if a nuclear weapon is uh, detonated uh, about a mile above the, the Earth's uh, crust, then uh, it basically takes out all the energy grids and everything else. But this uh, this idea of China using quantum computers for nefarious purposes or other enemies uh, of the state like North Korea and uh, Pakistan, some of the other places that we've been concerned about, um, this is a real, real serious problem that policymakers should be focusing on, right? Absolutely. And the State Department issued two memos already this year, Matt, and they said that all federal has to start the upgrade process. Uh, NIST, our National Institute of Standards and Technology, also has uh, uh, run their final algorithms. Uh, our intelligence communities, Department of Defense, are very aware. Um, with all that, though, we still can't move fast enough because the biggest problem at is that data is getting stolen today. So if you think about it, all our data goes over the Internet, over fiber, over the air. Uh, and the listening devices that, that our adversaries have, they listen to that data and they just take it. Now, today they can't decrypt it because they don't have the power, but they're just storing it. And when they do have the power, that data had 10 years of life left or 15 or 25 years, even 50 years of value. Think of nuclear secrets, government secrets. Uh, healthcare information, personal information. Um, that means they'll be able to access it, and they'll they'll be able to uh, open up all the uh, all the networks that they want and take all the data they want. Well, thank goodness there's folks out out there like you that are not just focused on the problem but on the solution. And I'm so honored and pleased that you're able to join us today, Skip. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank uh, you, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Uh, and uh, please stay on the line here at 92.3 uh, because at 930, we're going to be talking about a recent report that shows our ACT scores. And that's our test scores with our kids in uh, high school and uh, uh, K-12 across the board are in the tank, in the toilet. And it's going to cost us if we don't get on top of this. So stick around, and I'm going to be having uh, another interesting guest join me on that uh, slot as well. So look forward to talking. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hi there, Matt Salmon in for Mike Broomhead. And when I grow up, I actually want to be either a meteorologist, meteorologist or a pollster because they never have to be right and they still get paid. Anyway, uh, today we're talking about something just in from the Associated Press, something that ought to make the hair stand up on the back of all of our necks. ACT test scores are the lowest in 30 years. Scores on the ACT college admissions test by this year's high school graduates hit their lowest point in more than 30 years, the latest evidence of the enormity of learning disruption during the pandemic. 
The class of 22's average ACT composite score was 19.8 out of 36, marking the first time since 1991 the average score was below 20. And this is what the ACT CEO, Janet Goldwyn, said in a statement. We see rapidly growing numbers of seniors leaving high school without meeting college readiness benchmarks in any of the subjects we measure. Any of the subjects we measure. That, that's 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 horrible. That is what you would say existential. We talked about education being the silver bullet for just about everything. And the fact that our ACT scores are in the toilet ought to concern us all. And they're blaming it on the COVID pandemic. On the line with me, I've got a dear friend, Tom Hatton, who is the CEO of Mountainside Fitness and the founder of Mountainside Fitness and a great Guy and uh, somebody that actually sued the government when they shut down uh, his uh, healthcare or his uh, workout facilities. Uh, so, Tom, why don't you talk talk just a little bit about that? And are you as frustrated as I am with some of the policies that came out during COVID, where we kept talking about science being our guiding light, and also that we were doing this in the name of healthcare? How about the fact that uh, child abuse went through the Roof. How about the fact that uh, uh, overdose and drug abuse went through the roof? How about the exacerbation of mental health problems? How about the fact that people uh, lost their mortgages and their businesses and on and on and on? And now we're seeing that as a result of uh, the businesses shutting down, that uh, our ACT scores are in the toilet. And who knows if these kids are ever going to catch up. Uh, good morning, Tom. Glad to have you on the line. What are your thoughts on this stuff? Good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me. You know, it's funny because above my business and, and, and starting that here in Arizona, I was probably more tied into education due to the fact that I grew up a high school teacher's son and my sister was an elementary school teacher and my niece is an elementary school teacher. And that's what my goal was to be before I got into the fitness business was to be a teacher. And that's always been near and dear to my heart to all the structure of uh, obviously education, you know, K through eight through 12 and what's happened certainly here in Arizona, but those statistics that you just read off nationwide are alarming. And I think it's just a culmination of things that have been happening for years and years. Uh, I think the pandemic and, and keeping kids out of school and all the excuses to do that, you know, formulated in this you know terrible result that we see now and you know, add to it the mental health issues that have been created through that. And I think those aren't getting enough energy throughout all of uh, society right now and talking about it. And it just stems to where we're at. And, um, you know, I was looking at some other statistics, Matt, and just looking at Arizona, we're 49th in student spending out of 50 states. We're the third biggest economy in the country. You know, we're in the lower 10% in uh, teacher salaries in the country. Right. Again, the fifth biggest economy. I mean, none of that makes sense. And then you look at the national ACT scores and what we're doing in all the structural classes with math and reading English and so forth. And it's just obviously what else, what more alarms can we put out there to the public and to us society to, you know, make some changes. Well, and we're in an economic race uh, with China. Uh, they're the only other uh, country in the world that rivals us as a superpower, both in terms of economic uh, prosperity and prowess and uh, military strength. And this all works hand in glove together. And if, if we don't have an educated populace here in this country, if we can't even uh, meet the basic needs uh, for uh, getting into business, where are we as a country going? 
Well, I think it's funny because it stems, yeah, I say funny, uh, not ha-ha funny, but ironically funny when you look at, you know, a lot of our educational system has gone from a structure-based system, as I think you and I grew up in, to an ideological and politically-based system. Uh, and it's changed the format of schools. Uh, it's, in, you know, induced a lot of different uh, thoughts into classrooms that have taken away from the basics that we're talking about right now, which obviously puts us behind in a, a lot of the things that matter on a, on a worldwide scale. You know, um, when I was a kid, when you were a kid, and by the way, uh, you mentioned the fact that your dad uh, was a, a teacher at McClintock High School. I, I don't think you said McClintock High School. I'm saying McClintock <laughs> High School because that's where it was. And my wife, Nancy, uh, my beautiful wife of 43 years, was a student of your father, and she said that she was teacher's pet. Now, I'm not sure that's going to be accurate or not, but uh, the fact is she, she said she was the favorite student of your father. Uh, he probably had lots of favorite students but she said your dad was an amazing teacher oh that's always fun to hear and how he remembers her well and that and that whole group back in the day and that was a, a great time i know he looks back on it fondly and uh you know we talk about this a lot it's interesting we talk about education around the table we did uh, had an interesting talk about two weeks ago with my whole family and my niece who's a fourth grade teacher and her view of being in a classroom these days compared to my her mom, my sister's view of teaching the same fourth grade classes and then my father's and just a dichotomy of, of change and what you're able or not able to do in a classroom these days is scary. Uh, you, you, know, and, you know, Tom, the fact is that uh, we're expecting the teachers in many cases to be mother, father, family, uh, counselor, uh, counselor, you know, yeah. uh, protector. Uh, and and um, we kind of talk out of both sides of our mouths. But the fact is the, the, the schools have been taking on more and more, some that, that, that w- we wish they wouldn't take on. Uh, we, we really need, in my view, to get back to the basics of reading, writing, math, science. And I also believe vocational education is a big part of that, too. Uh, not every kid is uh, bound for college. And um, we've got to get back to focusing on blocking and tackling, so to speak, or we're going to fall behind and we're never going to catch up. Well, I think we're already behind. I think that's what those stats are showing yep. right now. Yep. And I, I think that's been culminating for years. And I think, uh, you know, it's funny. I always say I grew up as a sports kid. Fundamentals are boring but necessary. Like, that simple. Uh, and when you get absolutely. into all these other things, moving parts, you know, it takes away from the fundamentals of actually school and just moving forward in life. And uh, I think, you know, although those aren't a political point, those are necessary in our schools. And, and if not, we're just going to keep losing teachers uh, through all this. And that's and, the, the saddest part and losing our students. And we got to wrap up, uh, Tom. But one other thing I would personally like to see is teach them how to think and not what to think. Oh, that's a beautiful statement. That's a great way to end on this statement, on this subject, because that is you know, well said. Thanks a lot, <laughs> Tom. Appreciate you being All on right, the show. Good to talk to you. And uh, very, very soon, we're going to be talking in the next segment about the fact that yesterday uh, a jury did not give the death penalty to the man that uh, murdered 17 people at Parkland High School in Florida. And uh, let's talk about that up next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Good morning, everybody. This is Matt Salmon. I'm in for Mike Broomhead. 
Oh, boy. Yesterday, uh, the killer of 17 people at Parkland High School in a mass shooting that shocked the nation will spend the rest of his life in prison as opposed to facing the death penalty. And I've got to share with you that uh, from the onset that I am a proponent of the death penalty and I am a staunch advocate for victims' rights. And I think that uh, yesterday's decision was a travesty and uh, provides a lot of uh, heartache and does not provide closure for the victims of those horrible shootings. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that situation. Uh, the fact that uh, uh, yesterday, another story uh, in our newspaper talked about uh, uh, a guy named uh, Murray Hooper, uh, who has been on death row in Arizona for 38 years, 38 years. And they finally uh, given the thumbs up uh, for the execution to take place. So after 38 years of incarceration, he's finally going to be executed. And I want to talk about, you know, the fact that in America, uh, when those uh, uh, folks are given the death penalty, that it's not swift. Justice is not swift. And they languish around forever and their appeals go on ad nauseum. And uh, we pay for it. In fact, uh, the average cost of incarceration for those that are on death row is substantially higher than it is for the rest of the prison population. In fact, I think it's about close to it's close to one hundred thousand dollars on the average more a year. And that includes their appeals and attorneys and all the things that they go through. Uh, But this is what uh, Nicholas Cruz, who murdered 17 people, is going to be getting life in prison as opposed to the death penalty. The decision stunned and angered relatives of the 14 students and the three educators who were shot to death during the February 14, 2018 rampage at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High, the deadliest shooting in Florida history. And Dr. Elon Aldeff, whose daughter Alyssa died in the massacre, appeared to curse quietly when the judge read the verdict in her case. His wife, Lori, buried her face in his hand. This should have been the death penalty, 100%, Lori Adelhoff told reporters afterward. I'm so beyond disappointed and frustrated at this outcome. And one of the other parents in that uh, uh, decision, Tony Maltalto, uh, who lost his 14-year-old daughter Gina in the shooting, said the decision now puts more children in jeopardy because shooters no longer have to worry about a death sentence. The shooter didn't show compassion when he put the gun to Gina, he said. Ask what he'd say to those who don't believe in the death penalty. Montalto didn't hesitate. Trade places with me and you'll change your mind, he said. Well, it's all relative. When you walk in somebody else's shoes, you get to feel their pain. And uh, sometimes it gives us a different kind of a perspective. But as I mentioned, uh, this guy gets off the hook and gets life in prison. Now, I wouldn't want life in prison. I don't think that'd be a a, a fun thing to have to endure. Uh, In fact, it'd be pretty hellish, uh, especially uh, I've been uh, through the prisons, not as an inmate, uh, but... uh, uh, touring those uh, facilities and meeting and talking with various people. And I've participated with friends that have been in prison ministries and definitely prison isn't a place I'd want to be. However, I do believe uh, in comeuppances. And I do believe that the for capital murder uh, and uh, premeditated murder, heinous murder uh, and uh, crimes that are so horrible uh, that uh, the death penalty is appropriate. 
But let's talk about that for just a second, because as I mentioned, uh, we've got this guy named Murray Hooper, who's 76 years old, and now he's going to be put to death. He's been on death row for 38 years in the state of Arizona. And there's a uh, gentleman uh, that was a uh, he was known as the hanging judge of Orange County in California for sending nine men to death row. And what he had to say was it's 10 times more expensive to kill them than keep them alive, though most Americans believe the opposite. Deep in his retirement, he lost his faith in an eye for an eye and now speaks out against it. What changed the mindset uh, on the ultimate punishment? He said, California's legendary, legendarily slow appeal system, which produces an average wait of nearly 20 years from conviction to fatal injection, the longest in the nation of the nine convicted killers, McCartan sent to death row. Only one has died. It's a waste of time and money, said the 82-year-old self-described white right-wing Republican whose uh, voice still commands attention. The only thing it does is prolong the agony of the victims' families. Look, yesterday, I believe that was a great travesty of justice. I believe the death penalty should have been enacted. But we've got to get our act together in this country. We have got to get our act together and make sure that justice is swift and it actually means something. Uh, big proponent of victims' rights and, and worked with uh, Steve Twist. Uh, Steve, if you're listening out there, I'm still a big fan. He's done some wonderful things to make sure that victims have the opportunity to have the last say and to be able to be part of the, 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 the whole process and that they can get closure and, and, and that it means something to them. Uh, anyway, I, I, this is something that I believe uh, all of us should be focused on. Violent crime in our society is getting out of hand. And I do believe the death penalty is a deterrent, but only if it's swift and uh, it, uh, it and, and it's just. Uh, folks, I, I've really enjoyed hosting this hour. I'm going to be back on uh, in the next hour, and we're going to have some other really, really great topics to discuss. Uh, right up at the 10 o'clock hour, Chris Mays, candidate for attorney general, will be, will be joining me. So I hope you stick around, and we're going to ask her some really tough questions about going forward uh, and what she intends to do as attorney general. So hope you'll stay around. Thank you.